podcast for curious minds. And here is your host, Gary Cacciolio. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Joseph Sinkovic, author of How to, oh, How to Kiss the Universe, Ms. Aida, author of A List of Demonic Names, A Pocket Guide for the Paranormal Investigator, Exorcist, Psychic, and Metaphysical practitioner monthly co-host jared murphy author of it's not aliens it's worse it's us and this episode is being sponsored by ginger glasser and you can find ginger at her website tarotbyginger.com she is a tarot reader and psychic and channeler and if you want uh some information on what's going to happen, or what energies are surrounding a certain situation, or if you just want to do it for fun, I highly recommend her. She's very skilled, and you'll find her at tarotbyginger.com. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Rob Shelsky. Rob is the author of Quantum Immortality, The Hypersoul in Afterlife, Invader Moon, also, Hollow Moon, what is this one? Hollow Moon and Aliens That Rule the Sky, Deadly UFOs in a Disappeared, Shattered Reality in a Mandela Effect, Mysteries of Time Travel, 35 Cases of Time Intrusions, and about a hundred other books. And Rob is one of my favorite guests, and it's always an honor to have him. Not only has he written a hundred books, but he's an excellent conversation, conversationalist and very knowledgeable. Thank you for coming on, Rob. Thank you. But, you know, we're having a problem with your sound. All of a sudden it got louder and louder and louder, and now it's distorting terribly. I can barely understand you. I do that on purpose. Oh, okay. Yes. It, <laughs> it adds a certain aviance uh, to my podcast. It makes you sound like Godzilla. <laughs> uh, it, actually, when it records, it doesn't actually record that part of it. It's just some weird glitch that you'll hear and nobody else will hear eo is it okay well now you sound okay i know what what was it i don't know it has something to do with the digital recorder oh okay but, <laughs> you know more about it than i do you're the studio man but no i'm not but i know that a new digital recorder is out of my price range right now However, if people want to make donations to a digital recorder you can go to my website everythingimaginable2020.com <laughs> thanks thanks for that opening, Rob. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you got that plug in there. You know, I love my book. <laughs> so, so how have you been doing, man? Uh, pretty good, actually. I just have uh, received a contract for, uh, believe it or not, it's a um, young adult book, and it's fiction this time, and it's, uh, it's based on the idea of shadow people. I'm doing a nonfiction version as well. Now, I know people say, well, doesn't that compromise you as a serious researcher if you do fiction? It didn't compromise Carl Sagan. It didn't compromise Isaac Asimov. It didn't compromise a number of astrophysicists, engineers, such as uh, uh, Niven of uh, Ringworld and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, it doesn't bother me. 
Shadow people. That's an interesting topic. I've had, what is his name? Mike Rickensecker or something like that. He's a shadow uh, people expert. And, you know, one of the questions always is, are shadow people spirits, like of human deceased? Are they demonic? Are they aliens? Or are they something else? I think there's something else. My, my theory is, after doing the research on it, and I'm putting it in the book, the nonfiction book, is that uh, it's a part of a greater reality. We keep talking about paranormal this, aliens that, but we only see a small portion of the electromagnetic spectrum. We only see light, the, uh, you know, the colors, the, and that's about it. We don't see the x-rays, we don't see ultraviolet, we don't see infrared, we don't see radio waves, but it's all there. It's filling the universe. We would call it paranormal if we suddenly saw something that was reflecting in uh, radio waves and didn't know what they were. So I think we're just living in a reality that's much greater than we realize. Rather like living in a clump of cream at the top of a cup of coffee. We see all this this little white clump of cream as our entire universe, but really it's much deeper and goes much further down than we realize. And I think that's the way with um, uh, the idea of shadow people and the extended reality. It's just our perspective. And I think, you know, they say perception is reality. Well, perception is our little portion of reality. I think there's a lot more to our reality than we realize. And I don't think it involves necessarily other dimensions. It's just portions of our reality we don't seem to be able to access. So there's sort of like um, a being that lives on a different frequency than us. Well, that would be a good way to put it. Maybe they're made of dark matter. Maybe they're made of dark energy. Maybe they're made of both or something else entirely. But they seem to exist in our world. I'm talking about shadow people here and perhaps ghosts and other creatures of uh, mythical origin like fairies, elves, gnomes, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. These quick sightings of these things, they are in our reality, but not quite a part of it. I mean, they are a part of it, just but part of it we can't see. Um, You know, the old flatland thing is someone lived in a two-dimensional world and someone shoved their hand down through that two-dimensional world, a three-dimensional hand, all the two-dimensional people would see that portion of the hand that intersected with their reality. They wouldn't see the upper portion of the hand or the lower portion, and they would not know what to make of that little thin slice of the hand they were seeing. It would be completely strange and weird to them. But um, I think it's there. I think the evidence is pretty ample for shadow people existing. Now, they seem to be humanoid for the most part, Mm-hmm. But I think it could include cryptids, too. We keep thinking, oh, they come from other dimensions, from another time, from outer space. Maybe, judging by our history and reports of such things, they've been here all along. Wow. So do you think that they are able to perceive us, but we're not able to perceive them? Probably in the same way, or maybe more so. The Mothman, for instance, seems to be able to have a greater sense of perception than we do. It can see ahead in time because it seems to show up at sites where um, catastrophes are going to occur, whether it's the, uh, was I think it was Mount Pleasant, or whether it's Chicago, or anything like that. It seems to always go where there's problems, almost as if it's watching them, or can foresee them. Now, that sounds like, you know, science fiction gobbledygook, but if you lived in a village between two very high mountain ranges, that is the only world you would know if you didn't have modern technology and you couldn't climb over those mountains. But if someday someone scaled up those mountains, they would not only see their little valley, but they would see way beyond it. 
and all of a sudden the perspective on reality would widen up until then they only thought the valley was reality bounded mm -hmm. by mountains so it's that that type of um, thing that i'm talking about here it's all there it's just a matter of how we perceive it whether or not we have the perception to and sometimes we do and sometimes we don't and i think they can perceive us in the same sort of way there's crossover some maybe more than others. Why? Why do you think there's crossover? Like, what changes do you think? A, like, if say, for example, it is dark matter. Like, how would that crossover happen? Well, I wish I knew. To be honest with you, but we have seen on videos reports of little creatures running around in driveways, you mm -hmm. know, and on the street that are maybe a foot and a half tall that are humanoid, walk on two legs, or bipedal. We don't know what the heck those are. Uh, there was a case on YouTube where they were showing a, a Hispanic family, I believe it was in Mexico, sitting on a front porch, <clears throat> just enjoying a party, and someone's videoing uh, from across the street. All of a sudden, a car goes by. No big deal. Nobody pays attention. Car is on a dirt road. Not a big deal. But then right behind it comes something else, almost entirely unvisible or invisible, but it looks like someone on a motorcycle. It's just a flash. Now, no one on the porch sees it. The cameraman didn't even seem to notice it. But one man did on the porch. He actually got up, walked down into the dirt road, and stared down the dirt road after whatever it was that went by. Now, what was that? A cloaking device? Shadow person? Who knows? Interesting. Why do you think, like, like, like that example that you just gave, like a perfect example. You know, you have three people sitting on a porch. Two don't see it. One does. Well, actually, it's about eight people. Okay. Well, there's all these people on the porch, and one guy sees it. Why do you think that is? Like, why well, that one guy? Do you think that he was more attuned? Do you think that his consciousness was is a little bit more expanded than the others, which allows him to perceive things from another frequency? Well, they were all laughing and joking, except he was just sort of sitting there at that moment, not saying anything, and then I. He saw it, rose up from his chair, looked, and then decided to walk down and look down the road. Uh, it could be that he just were distracted otherwise, and the thing was almost completely invisible and incredibly quick. Uh, it just sort of flitted by. And just as the observer of the video, he saw it just for an instant, mm -hmm. I think, and just wanted to see what the heck that was. Or maybe he is more attuned to it. I am i don't know about the vibrations and frequencies uh, thing. There's, not a lot of evidence to support that. And it seems to be a very new age to me, except right. that all things are composed of quantum subatomic particles. And all those vibrate according to string theory. And they all vibrate at different levels to create the appearance of a different particle. And really, it's just the same string vibrating at a different rate. Well, if we're made up of all these subatomic particles which vibrate, maybe the whole frequency idea is real. Maybe it's true. It's possible. I mean, I don't know what's true and what's not, obviously. I'm trying to figure that one out. I think we all are. I also wonder, like in this situation, too, you have these people on a porch. One guy sees it. Is it because we're creating our own reality and that guy created it in his consciousness and it actually manifests? Um, well, if he created it, he created it after the fact. And why would create something that looks sort of like a motorcycle with someone on it speeding by is beyond me. I think he just simply um, either was attuned to it more than the others or, more probably, he just happened to be looking in that direction because that car had just gone by. Could have been a glitch in the Matrix. 
Yes, and it could have been that too. But we have lots of reports of shadow people. There's another case where a man was filming, and there was a shadow person in his kitchen. And you're seeing it from the film, and you can see the shadow in the kitchen move across the doorway from left to right. And then the man sees it with the cameras. He goes racing into the kitchen, and he looks to left and right. There's no exit, no entrance, and there's nothing there. Now, I personally saw what I can only describe as a shadow person on a ghost hunt up at uh, the Peyton Mansion in South Ohio. We were in the barn up on the loft. There were two lofts, one at each end of this huge uh, barn. Now, there was a light shining from the one loft towards the other loft, and something, there was a group of about 15, 20 of us up there. We were all ghost hunting. You know how that goes, late mm -hmm. at night, cold, three in the morning. And a shadow passed along the other wall. Quite clearly, we all saw it, and it was even videoed. Now, I was standing near the light. No one walked in front of that light. And if there was anyone on the other loft that might have walked and cast a shadow, we would have seen them quite clearly. So what was that? They think it was a ghost. I'm not so sure it was a ghost. Do you think they would interact with us? I think they do interact with us. In what way? I'm not sure. I, they don't seem to be dangerous per se, at least in most situations. I've seen very little evidence of that. But um, I think they watch us. There is, if you go on the internet, again, and watch different videos of it, um, and the people swear these videos are true. Some of them may be hoaxes. Some of them probably are, but I don't think all of them are. But um, I don't know. I, I really think they are interacting with us. I think they are watching us. You know, in the Bible, the Old Testament refers to uh, a group of known as the Watchers. And I'm just wondering if that's what these are. They're just watching us? Apparently. I don't think they're interfering, but if they were, how would we know? I don't, I, mean, think we, I don't think we could, though, could we? Uh, no, I don't know. And could they interfere with us on a psychic <laughs> level, or is it a physical level? Can they... Uh, if, but see, the thing here, with this theory, it would account for ghosts, it would account for shadow people, it would even account for mythological creatures, cryptids, and even UFOs. Yes. So it's a one-answer-fits-all kind of a situation, if it's valid. So you figured it out. Yeah, I wish. You have solved all the mysteries of the universe. Yes, all the questions and all the mysteries. I've, I have all the answers now. You may think of me as, <laughs> as a new form of God. <laughs> but like, but yeah, I, I've, I've seen a lot of these videos, too, um, you know, on YouTube. And there's a TV show. I think it was like Paranormal Caught on Camera or something like that. They, they show a lot of shadow people, figures. And one of the things that, that I think about sometimes is, you know, like how I'm like this physical Gary. Or, or I think I'm a physical Gary, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe that is like the anti Gary. I'm actually looking at myself in another form. So that shadow version of you would be the good Gary? <laughs> yes, exactly. That is exactly it. Yeah, that could that could be. <laughs> 
I don't it? know. I don't know. I don't know what the answers are, but I, I will say this: almost everyone on this planet has glimpsed shadow people out of the corners of their eyes. Now, I started getting interested in this when I started glimpsing them, and I thought, okay, what can I put this down to? Well, a lot of times it's a reflection of the TV in the window. It might be a plant waving in a breeze inside the house. I don't know how it does that, but it could be. And I discount a great many of such glimpses. But sometimes I can't account for them. There was one case. I lived in San Diego. My front porch was all fenced in and quite a jungle, lots of staghorn ferns hanging on the fence wall facing the house, big windows. I was standing in the kitchen. I was looking out and I saw something that looked like a humanoid shadow go from left to right. Mm -hmm. And I stared and I told my father about it and he looked. The shadow was long gone. Again, it was very quick. But all the staghorn ferns were waving back and forth as if something had just walked by. And when we stepped outside, there wasn't a breath of air movement. So, so it has some physicality to it. Yeah, it did have physicality to it. Also, that one in the um, uh, on the Mexican road in Mexico, that looked like it had physicality. It looked like it was riding some kind of machine. And I want to say motorcyclism. You know, when you don't know what what it is, and you can only barely see it for an instant, it, you can't really pin it down, but it looked like some kind of two-wheeled vehicle. Strange. Is there any type of circumstance that, or catalyst you think that makes these shadow people appear? I don't know. I don't know if certain weather conditions have to be just right. It doesn't seem so. Um, usually it's at night. Uh, although this one was not at night with the uh, Mexican family. It was uh, in the daytime. And I say Mexico. I'm not sure it was Mexico. It's been a while since I've seen that video. But uh, it um, that was like at dusk maybe, but not dark dusk. It was more light than dark. So what was that? Is it someone with a cloaking device? That's another explanation. Is it a glitch in the matrix? That's another explanation. But what was it that went zooming by down that road that caught one man's interest? and the camera caught. Whatever it was, if the camera can catch it, it's reflecting light. Therefore, mm -hmm. it has to have some physicality. Hmm. A cloaking device doesn't necessarily, to me, make a lot of sense because I don't think there'll be people walking around my house with cloaking devices caring about what I do. Unless they have some agenda that we don't know of and they're observing us closely. But why? Maybe we're their experiment. So you think they could be our creator? It's possible. It's mm. a spooky thought, I know. But why are the watchers watching us, if that's true? I mean, it's 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 bizarre. But we're obviously, we're being watched. UFOs watch us. They're around our ships. They're intersect with our planes. They are over nuclear bases. They've interfered with the launch missile codes at one point. Uh, they even apparently... Uh, destroyed a missile, made it go off, and they had a, a self-explosive thing. It wasn't armed. but um, So they're watching us. They seem to be around volcanoes a lot. They come and go from the ocean, these so-called USOs. Uh, they hover over things, not just now, but in the past. Alexander the Great's historian recorded that there were silver shields flying through the air by the Indus River in India, and that it uh, frightened his soldiers enough to where a few days later they demanded they return, that they want, didn't want to conquer any more territory. And he gave up and listened to them, and that's why India was never conquered by Alexander the Great, supposedly. 
So what were these flying discs? And also they apparently maddened the war elephants, caused them to stampede. So this goes way back. What the heck is going on? Were those flying shields interfering with history, altering it some way, wanting to change the outcome by interfering when they did? Or were they just watching and that was just one of the consequences? There's so much we don't know, so much we have to find out. We really need to be seriously investigating all of this stuff. If a lot of it just turns out to be so much bull, then uh, okay, fine, we have the answer. But we need to know. I need to know. How do we investigate this? Do we use the scientific method? Is the scientific method applicable to this? I think it's applicable to most things. I think, I mean, uh, uh, the only problem with the scientific method is the experiments have to be repeatable by others. And when you're observing something in nature, whether it's an eagle flying or an alligator eating a duck, you're not going to observe it a lot unless you're there and watching constantly over a great deal of time, and you may never see it. And that's the problem with the scientific approach. It's not good for this sort of thing. It's the only tool we have. We need to use it, even so. Hmm. We can't just say a psychic says this or a medium says that. That's great, and maybe they're telling the truth. Maybe they're self-deluding. Maybe they're just out outright lying. I don't know. Um, it's hard to separate the wheat from the chaff in that situation. But I do know this. It's not repeatable, and no one else can verify it. And therefore, I find it, I don't want to use the term highly suspect, but I find it not very convincing, let me put it that way. Do you think people that use like the CE5 methodology, is that something that we could verify through a scientific method? I doubt. I really seriously doubt it. Uh, it's, I, I think the, our only recourse is to do what we've learned to do over centuries that seems to work for us, and that is the basic scientific method. If it means observing a whole bunch of different places, and we've done it with neutrinos. We set these expensive, absolutely pure water reservoirs deep underground in old abandoned mines in Canada and Antarctica to catch the one or two errant neutrinos that might just happen to interact with a proton. And we waited, and we waited, and years rolled by, and finally we did get a few results, and we can verify neutrinos exist. But it took a great deal of money and a great deal of time to catch the so-called ghost particle in action. I think it's that sort of thing with this. Do you think that these beings could be just made of neutrinos? Well, I don't think so. Well, I don't. No, I don't really think they are just made of neutrinos. More likely it would be something more like dark matter, whatever dark matter is incorporate neutrinos and it may be that's why we do catch sight of them occasionally because occasionally by sheer chance they do manifest in our portion of reality that's how i'd like to see it reality is much wider than we think it is and we just have that little narrow spectrum that we can see feel and touch doesn't mean the rest isn't there uh cosmic rays are coursing through us all the time we can't see them feel them taste them smell them or anything we don't know they exist until we did experiments and found that they existed, but they were always there. You make a son like a dumb animal. Well, we're a learning animal, and we are animals. You know, we're homo sapien sapien, and uh, we've had to evolve up a long ways, and we are reaching for the stars, but we still have, have feet of clay. And that is true. Um, you know, we don't know everything. We don't know why... And it's a mystery. And, you know, like I was joking before, like about you, you know, having the answer. 
you know, I, one of the things that keeps me going is not having the answer. Was that a joke? <laughs> <laughs> if you can't laugh about yourself, I don't know what you can do. You know, That's true. Pretty harsh. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you know, we, we, we don't know. And I wonder if we'll ever know. I wonder if we're meant to know. Well, if you say, are we meant to know, then you have to uh, imply that there's some ulterior motive of some greater being than ourselves that has control over what we're meant to do or not to do. I think we have been expanding our knowledge. I mean, when you consider that from the beginning of recorded history to 1957, was it? That was the sum total of human knowledge. And then within 15 years, it doubled. And then it doubled again in half Mm -hmm. that time. We're learning a heck of a lot. We are learning a great deal. We are reaching a technological singularity because of what all we're learning around the world. The more we learn, the more we learn. But unfortunately, some of these questions have really tough answers. And we haven't simply developed the tools, the methodology, or the theories that would get us there to find the answers. But I think we will. I do. I think we will. What about for the, you know, a, a large part of, um, you know, the academic world and science scoffs at some of these things that we're talking about? Do you think that they'll ever start taking these subjects seriously? Well, scientists scoffed at the first person to come up with the idea of a continental drift back in the 1920s. They ridiculed that geologist. His name was, I'm trying to think of his name, it was Alfred something. I can't off the top of my head remember it. Well, uh, Wagoner. Wegener, Alfred Wegener, he came up with the idea of um, uh, continental drift. He was laughed out of it. His career was utterly destroyed. He died in ignominy. And then by the 50s, we accepted the idea of continental drift. And it was as plain as the nose in your face that Africa and South America fit together, North America and Europe fit together, Australia fit right up into uh, uh, part of Antarctica and India. I mean, it was pretty obvious once we saw it it was always there for us to see every world map showed it quite clearly but since we didn't have the theory we didn't see it even though it was in plain sight Hmm. do you think that religion and mythology is our way of trying to explain the unexplained well obviously we kind of know that already we know that's what they were trying to well that's true but i'm wondering if it isn't explaining real things that people have seen throughout history every culture on earth has a history of little people, of things like giants and trolls Mm -hmm. and gnomes and fairies and leprechauns. They go by different names uh, in different places, uh, pukas or uh, fairies or uh, whatever. But uh, there's a whole plethora of these things. And um, I just, uh, for myself personally, I think that uh, some of these sightings have been real and have been repeated throughout history. And mythology and religion are one way of coping with it. Why, Again, why does the Old Testament mention the Watchers? I mean, it, it seems pretty obvious to me that something caused them to believe this. I don't think people, just because they lived 5,000 years ago, were stupid. Hmm. The Watchers is interesting, because isn't it the Watchers that sort of, like, was it the Watchers that mated with the humans? Yes. Yeah, I believe it was the Watchers that made it with the humans. I haven't read the Bible in a very long time, but I'm pretty sure that was the gist of it. And I believe that it caused a race of giants on earth, of whom Goliath, of David and Goliath, was supposed to be one, I believe, from what I've read. Yeah, I I do think that there were giants. 
So, so that brings up like a whole other topic then. Like, like then these beings can actually mate with humans. Which means they have physicality. Yes. And a good deal of it, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Obviously. And they feel pleasure, maybe. Yes. And they also have agendas and motives. Hmm. Which gives them a, an emotional makeup not too different from our own. There's a lot we can surmise. If our premise is wrong, then all this elaborate house of cards we built collapses. But if you take the premise that the watchers might have existed, and then you read what actions they took, then you can uh, come to certain conclusions based on what those actions were. Why is it that um, even the Greeks talk about the gods and the gods interfering with us, Prometheus giving us fire? Uh, and why is it knowledge is always the forbidden fruit? The Bible had two trees in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. Only one of those was forbidden to us, the tree of knowledge. And the same is true with the Greek gods. When Prometheus gave uh, mankind fire, the knowledge of fire. He was punished for eternity by having his liver pecked out while he was chained to a rock. I could think of nicer ways to have to spend eternity yes I i'm not big that. on liver <laughs> <laughs> no, i wouldn't want to be that bird <laughs> no i wouldn't either but um and you know so you do get this sort of thing in a lot of cultures and religions is it all just uh different cultures coming up with the same uh co-evolution with regard to culture and myths or was there something really there that caused people to believe this if you're in wales you believe in certain things if you're in Cornwall, you believe in something else. If you're in England, you believe in something else. And in Ireland, you believe in something else. But it's all probably the same creature, just with a different name. Whether yeah. it's a leprechaun or uh, a gnome or whatever. Now, the Scandinavians have it. The English have it. Scots have it. Welsh have it. We have it here. We have our own um, menagerie of cryptids. Where is all this coming from? Are people simply that deluded or... Let me put it another way, that pathetic that they think this stuff and believe it's true for no reason whatsoever? Or is there a kernel of truth there? That's the question. I think there's definitely a kernel kernel of truth to it simply because some of these cultures ha had no contact with each other, but yet they share very similar mythologies. Absolutely. And it is worldwide. You have it in Central and South America, you have it in Europe, you have it in Africa, you have it in Asia. Asians, uh, the Chinese believed in dragons. Uh, the Western civilization believed in dragons. It's supposed to be St. George who killed the dragon. That's the patron saint of England. Uh, over here, we have what we call the flying thunderbirds that people have witnessed as recently as the Civil War and even after that. What are these things? They all have different names, but they all sound very much alike as far as descriptions go. Yeah. So are they just people's... Uh, imaginations that happen to all be the same at different times and places in history around the world or is there some basic truth there there has to be a basic truth it has to be something there's no yeah, way that these reports have gone on for as long as humans were able to record and document experience and it's happened all around the world and it's still happening now there, it cannot be dismissed Right. And like, for instance, the Mothman, we think of it as the, an American phenomena. But another thing described very much the same way, almost identically, in Cornwall is called the Owlman. And he's been around for several centuries, apparently, reports of them. In England, there were reports of something similar, uh, a creature that apparently could climb walls and 
break into buildings on fifth and sixth floors and had no way of doing it, no means apparently of ingress or egress. It was called Jack the something, uh, not Jack the Ripper. But um, so we all have this stuff. We just call it by different names. So we think it's different. The ancients called flying saucers silver shields. We call them flying saucers. Uh, but throughout history, these things have appeared and they've been called different names, but I think they're the same thing. I think so, too. They have to be. They have to be related. It's impossible for them not to be related. You know, I, so it can't be a hoax, right? So this has been going no. on all this time for centuries, millennia. And people around the world have reported these things in different capacities in different ways, but probably the same things they're saying. Then it can't be a hoax. So if it's not a hoax and it's real, then the next question is, logically, what is it? Right. And that's where we have to start coming up with ideas of what it is, experiments on how to figure out whether those theories are right and, and approve and, you know, validate or unvalidate all these different theories. Notice that was just the advent of cameras, especially phone cameras and ring cameras on doors that we've caught a lot more than we have. But just because I'm a, a group of us are standing outside and I have to be glancing up at the sky and I see a fireball shoot by in less than a second and no one else, and I go, oh, look, a shooting star. And everyone else looks up and it's too late. It doesn't mean I didn't see that shooting star. Right. It's still a valid observation. It, it may not be repeatable, but it was a valid operation. Perhaps cryptids, UFOs and stuff are kind of in that vein. Hmm. I, I definitely too believe like um I, I had a guest on recently. I haven't put that episode out yet, but it'll be out for this one. Uh, and I was talking about Bigfoot. He's a Bigfoot researcher. And he believes that Bigfoot is just a cryptid. Like he doesn't didn't believe that Bigfoot had uh, was he believes that is an animal, a primate, and that's it. There's nothing supernatural about it. However, one night he said he was doing an investigation and he saw a UFO and then 20 minutes later he heard a Bigfoot howl. And, you know, what are the odds? What are the odds of seeing a UFO and hearing a Bigfoot on the same night without them being unrelated? You know, it's impossible. They have to be, in my mind, those two events had to be related. Did I lose you? Hmm. Can you hear me? You're on mute. You're right. I was on mute. I had a cough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, that's what smokers... No, I don't smoke, actually. Uh, but, uh, no, uh, there has to be a correlation between, uh, at least a high probability between seeing that and then seeing something else almost identically. I was mentioning the brown mountain lights here in North Carolina, which I know are real. I've photographed them. And there have been reports of Bigfoot in the same area. And why is this always the case? UFOs, Bigfoot, what is the interconnection there? For all we know, they could be the pilots of those craft. You know? Yes. <laughs> they must, must be like having a Wookiee on board your ship, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think there's a correlation. I and, do too. Uh, and, and again, 
like the Brown Mountain Lights, they have been reported since the colonial period. Uh, American natives reported them before we even arrived. This is not new. So what is going on here? And what are they? And why do we see cryptids in the general area sometimes when these happen? And by the way, why are some of these cryptids so strange? You know, they're getting more and more strange. I mean, you've got the vegetable man or celery man or whatever he is, the dog man, you've got Mothman, you've got Bigfoot, I mean, uh, you've got Chupacabras. What are all these things? And why are people seeing them and even managing to film them? Where are these things coming from? How do they live? Under what circumstances? Are they just simply that hidden, that rare, that's very rarely spotted or filmed? Or are they sort of becoming apparent to us at certain times and other times not? Why is it human beings actually have developed a sense of being watched? Hmm. Study after study has been done, and it's proven that people often can sense being watched when there's no possible way they could know that. Yes, yeah, so I think that's part of our own psychic abilities. You know. Is it a defense against that sort of thing that yeah. we normally can't see, but we have to have some way of warning ourselves that something might be there? That's what I'm wondering. Did we evolve it for that reason? And if so, that would help explain things a little. Absolutely. You know, I think like that that sense though is something that um you know we've always had the ability to know when somebody's looking at us or watching us. Um and as we've evolved, maybe we didn't need that sense as much anymore. So or or for whatever reason we we we, we deny that we have that ability because we can't explain it. Well we also have the ability to sense the future up to 10 seconds on average it's anywhere from two seconds to 10 seconds so the scientists say it's about five seconds on average of course and we can sense something happening or about to happen anywhere from two to 10 seconds before it happens again study after study at places like stanford and elsewhere we've repeated the experiments and they come up with the same results every time uh, the one university that originally did it said, look, there may be something wrong with our experimental method. We would like others to do it and, and check and see if they can come up with any things that might be accounting for this because we can't. And other universities have, and they came up with the same results, and they say the experiment works. Your people are shown random pictures in their hundreds, usually nice pictures, picnics, coastlines, that sort of thing. And then every so often, purely at random, a really horrible picture will pop up. And these people are hooked up to galvanic skin response machines, and they can sense the body changes and reacts to the picture up to 10 seconds before they see the picture. The body reacts. Now, this is visceral. This is on the real physical, basic body level that we're responding to this before it happens. And yet they think there might have been an evolutionary advantage. If you sense that in a few seconds a jaguar might leap out of the jungle at you, it gives you a chance to grab that spear and defend yourself. It's a survival mechanism, perhaps. The same with that feeling of being watched. They may go hand in hand. But we know both these things are true. So reality does seem to include the ability to perceive what's going to happen at a future time. And theoretically, there is no way we can know it. Granted, it's a very limited future time. But even so, it seems to be real. Right. That's because I don't personally don't believe there is a such a thing as time. I think time is just a, um, is created by our limited ability to perceive. Well, you know the old saying, the reason we have time is so that everything doesn't happen at once. Mm -hmm. And that's what it is. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, 
my whole thing is that it's all everything that's, that that we everything that exists is just a set of probability. It's a giant math equation of probabilities, and what we focus our attention on is the one is the probability that we're going to experience. We are probability waves swimming in a sea of infinite probabilities for possibilities. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and what we think of as reality, solid reality, the everyday things we see around us, is simply that wave function constantly collapsing from instant to instant. Yes. Yeah. You believe that? So to do, uh, I, oh, I think that's, if you believe in quantum physics, and it's the most tested theory in the history of mankind, I would have to say that it's a real reasonable assumption or theory and quite probably is too true is it absolutely true i'm not sure but i think there's a high probability it is hmm. i wonder what it would take to have initiated this crazy mathematical experience did it just take one more than one thing existing and realizing that oh there's more than one thing and then start running probabilities Maybe someone just switched on the simulation, the basic computer that's running the universe. The universe is math. It isn't just running on math. The universe actually seems to be mathematics. Yes. So there's a high probability. And if it is just mathematics, then nothing really exists in a solid sense that we think of it. It really is all just probabilities manifesting themselves as the computer computes. And I think that's something, too, that ancient cultures recognized you know, through the use of, like, sacred geometry. And I think that's sort of, sort of like a way that they were trying to depict that what this reality is. Well, it's like the golden ratio. Why does that manifest itself from things as small as seashells right up to the size of galaxies? Mm -hmm. Why is it we see it in sunflowers? Why is it we see it in the um, human being, the perfect proportions? The more attractive someone appears to us, the more they adhere to the golden ratio. And why is that? It's simply a mathematical concept. The Fibonacci sequence, why does that seem to be rife everywhere? Why do certain things just keep repeating themselves on the macro level as well as the micro level? Why is it everywhere in our universe that we see these things, this repetition of this? It's almost as if someone, it's almost like fractal geometry that from the smallest to the biggest, it repeats. And uh, we can't account for this, why this is so, but there seem to be basic rules. And by the way, if this is a simulation, there's one sure way that we would know it is. And one scientist says there's a 100% chance we are living in a simulation. And he bases that, and, and I believe I mentioned this to you once before, that if we are in a simulation, nothing can run faster than the processing speed of the computer it's running on. Mm -hmm. Therefore, there would have to be a constant that nothing could supersede. And we have a constant just like that. And I think you guessed the answer last time. Can you give it to me again? No, not, not this early in the morning. Yeah, I know I had trouble even thinking of the question this early. <laughs> <laughs> you need another cup of coffee if you get that it's one like, I have one right now. It's like, am I really awake? <laughs> or is this all just a nightmare? <laughs> <laughs> both. <laughs> yeah, both. Yeah. It's almost so for much for reality. Uh, actually, it's the speed of light. That would seem to be our processing speed constant. Hmm. Nothing can violate the speed of light. It would be the perfect explanation for uh, the speed of light is that it is the basic constant of 
our simulation. And the processing speed of our simulation is the speed of light. So nothing can go faster than the speed of light. How could anything on a computer run faster than the computer can, uh, can operate? Right. And ironically, always this comes up when the speed of light is the pyramid's measurements come out to be the speed of light as well. Yeah, it seems to replicate itself. I was having a discussion last night with someone about does gravity, is it instantaneous? If you remove the sun from our solar system, it takes light about eight and a half minutes to get the sun to the Earth. Would it take the Earth eight and a half minutes to know that the sun's gravity had disappeared before it spun off into space? Or would it do it instantly? And so does gravity have a speed limit too? What do you think? Does it? I think it does. We uh, have seen collisions of neutron stars and black holes, and they produce space-time distortions we call gravity waves. And those gravity waves travel at the speed of light. So perhaps gravity does travel at the speed of light. How about the theory that the speed of thought is faster than the speed of light? Actually, the human brain does not think thoughts at the speed of light. Mm -hmm. We're much, much slower thinkers than that. They've done measurements on it. We're nowhere near the speed of light with our thinking. Uh, we just think it's instantaneous, but it certainly is not. Experiments have shown it is not instantaneous. In fact, we're quite slow, really, compared to the speed of light. Hmm. Incredibly slow. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting concept that the speed of light might be the uh, processing speed um, if we are in a simulation. But based on that, that scientist says that's our evidence. We are at 100% chance living in a simulation. And that's not me. That's a bona fide scientist in the field. I know. I had a guy on recently. Um, you know, he was an MIT grad, and, and he wrote some books on uh, the simulation theory. It's pretty convincing. You know, the idea, though, that this is really World of Warcraft, and I'm just a mindless, I don't know, troll, bothers me a little bit. Well... I mean, it could be completely different than what we said, and you could still be a mindless little troll. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it just may be you, you know. <laughs> like, is it me? Is it me? Yeah, it's you. you know? um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's overwhelming almost. I mean, we have all these theories of the universe, the hologram theory, the simulation theory. The idea that it's all just math. And if it is all just math, then who created the basic formulas of the universe? Uh, why does it all work on math? And a lot of scientists say it, it isn't just that it works based on math. It is mathematics. Yes. That life is, is subject to mathematics and is mathematics. And yeah. if so, then who's the creator of that mathematics? I don't know. I'm trying to find that out. So in other words, despite all our scientific endeavors and all our search for facts and more knowledge, what we're really looking is to touch the face of God. Yes, absolutely. How do you think we do that? Like, what, what angle would you, if we're really trying to figure all these things out, trying to figure out what created this God equation, how do we I'm not do sure that? he'd like to be referred to as an equation. <laughs> I think he thinks of us as equations. Oh, but, yeah, uh, that's, that's true. But we, how do we find a creator of the equation? 
Well, supposedly through the expansion of our knowledge, but by the same token, why is it throughout our history knowledge has been considered a bad and evil thing? Right. So maybe if we find out what who created the equation, then that would be the end of us? Huh. This reminds me of Arthur C. Clarke's short story, The Nine Million Names of God Nine Billion Names of God. Mm-hmm. Some scientists were taking a supercomputer up to a uh, a monastery of a of the Dalai Lama. The reason the Dalai Lama, I don't know what do you call the monks, wanted the the supercomputer was because they wanted to um, name all the names of God. They felt that it was their purpose purpose in life, and the people bringing the thing up to the mountaintop were kind of laughed at the idea. I mean, imagine using a supercomputer for this. Well, they install it, get it set up, and it starts running, and they're walking down the mountainside, you know, and a couple of days later, all of a sudden, the stars start winking out, because the monks have said once they had all the nine billion names of God, the universe would simply cease to exist. I thought it was a great story. Hmm. So it is a possibility that we've yeah. once we figure it out, existence stops. Well, here's a question for you. It's rather religious, but <clears throat> do you believe we were made in the image of God, that God is uh, basically a naked ape? I, I I believe that there is some greater consciousness, you know. Um, or like the Hindus, do you believe we all exist inside the mind of a god? Essentially, yeah. I, I believe that we are a dream, inside of a dream, inside of a dream, inside of a dream, inside of a dream. I kind of go by more of a Kabbalistic type of theory. Then... What level of dream are we? How far down? And how is that any different from being a simulation inside of a simulation inside of a simulation? It's not. It, it is not different. Both are, both theories are pretty much the same theory, just being described differently. I'm curious. You've been asking me all these questions about it. What is your gut feeling and belief about it all? What do you think? I think... And I know a lot of people probably not like my answer, but but I think somehow a mistake happened. And I think it was a mistake. I I, I think that something accidentally became self-aware. And when that thing became self-aware, the only way it was able to figure out what it was or what it is, is to run through all the probabilities. And we are in that, we're one of those probabilities. And that's it. And, and you know, well, you know and, every, and every probability well, creates well, a new well, set of probabilities, so they keep, it keeps expanding. And, uh, and I think that's what creates sort of this sacred geometry type of structure. So, you think it's all probabilities based on a set of equations, but who came up with the equations? I think it was an accident. I, I think something blinked into existence, you know, for, for what we would consider like not even a second, you know, like a nanosecond, and it blinked out. And, and we're a part of that. So in, in that nanosecond, we live out our lives, the evolution of our universe and all of that. Yes. Just a moment bubble caught 
yep. in an empty field of space time. So you think we're basically a, a product of a Boltzmann brain? Yes. Do you really? Yeah. But even a Boltzmann brain is subject to the laws of this universe. And the theory behind a Boltzmann brain is that it could form spontaneously mm -hmm. in our universe based on the laws of our universe and that so there would already be stars, planets, and galaxies. Well, but then the, the stars, the, of, you know, the, the okay. universe would have to not existed. The universe has to be part of the Boltzmann brain. Well, and yet there would have to be conditions that would allow the spontaneous uh, arise of a Boltzmann brain. And that's that's true. I think it was some kind of accident. Like so they created really those conditions. I think. And you don't, so in the universe, it couldn't just be the same thing, a singularity that just accidentally popped into existence, creating space-time? Sure, why not? So which is it? Boltzmann brain or spontaneous combustion of the universe? It could be both. And it could be neither. Like one could have triggered the other. The other, you know, I, I don't you know. You know that according to the Boltzmann brain theory, the universe is old enough that two Boltzmann brains could have formed by now. I didn't you know? know that, no. Yeah. Just, uh, hmm. um, I, I'm going to pause this for just a second. I have got a little bit back and I've got to lock the bedroom door. <laughs> okay. Controlled by our own creations. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty frightening, actually. And this thing keeps talking to me, too. It's really annoying. It's like, just get on with the vacuuming and quit telling me everything. So... <laughs> <laughs> You know, you can see, and it maps the floors. I mean, we are losing control, but I don't mind really because I hate vacuuming. Hmm. But this, this, this one can actually mop while it's vacuuming. Wow, I, I have, know. I have one. I never use it. You don't use the vacuum cleaner. You don't use the mopping part of it. I, I don't use. Well, I have one that just vacuums. And uh, is it intelligent? I mean, does it map the floor and all that? I don't know. I don't know what it does. I don't use it. Why would you not use it? It's so much easier than vacuuming yourself. Is that a dog? I have eight cats. That's why I have two robot vacuum cleaners. <laughs> <laughs> I have one's one. a diversion, and one, one of them actually does the work. <laughs> uh, well. So, your idea is that we're all just a, a dream inside of a dream. Yeah, and you know, and that theory has come up in ancient cultures, like you know, Hinduism. It's kind of described that way. Buddhism is described that way, and Kabbalah is described that way. There still always seems to be a purpose in these things, except maybe for the Boltzmann brain. I don't think there's a purpose, though. That's where I kind of think I think it was an accident. Totally random. Yes. Yes. And yet, what conditions had to exist for even that total randomness to exist? Well, I would have to know non-existent conditions, and I don't. Well, you don't. They would have to be conditions, though, even so, whether you know them or not. Yes. Just as the sun warms the earth, you may not know why as a primitive, but you know that it does. Mm -hmm. I, the only problem with these kind of theories, and they could very well be valid ones, and uh, but I don't see uh, that it solves the issue because you're taking it, you're just pushing. It's like saying, well, life didn't originate on Earth. It was came from uh, outer space in the form of you know a panspermia theory, came from elsewhere. Okay, well, where did it come from? Oh, 
maybe Mars. Okay, so let's go to Mars and find out. Well, it didn't come from there either. It came from another solar system nearby. And so it keeps going one step further back and back and back, trying to find the origin of life. That's true. But no matter how far back you go, it had to have originated somewhere at some point, right? Mm -hmm. So the same with your theories of the Boltzmann brain. Uh, if we accept that we're all just living inside a split second inside of a Boltzmann brain that only existed for a shadow of a second, then we have to wonder how the Boltzmann brain came into existence, even by randomness. That's I true. mean, after all, the brain is quite complicated. That's true. The best answer I can come up with is it was an accident. It's a fluke. Even so, you'd have to have the conditions for the accident to occur. I know. It would have to be basic conditions. It couldn't be just nothingness, could it? I don't know. It, what, do you, what do you think? I think there's something to it. I... Um, I, uh, when it comes to God, for instance, I'm a bit of an agnostic. I don't know if he exists or not. There's, you know, there's no way to prove it, but there's no way to disprove it really either. It's up till, you know, so far. Um, as far as the universe goes, I rather like the M-brain theory that the universe is the collision of two other universes and we're the result. And this has been going on for all eternity. That to me is more satisfying than living inside a Boltzmann brain for a picosecond and then vanishing as all dreams do. And yet, you've had dreams, I'm sure, where you've been in the dream yourself. Yes. And yet you're also kind of aware at the same time that you're having this dream. Not exactly a lucid dream, but close. And you're in the dream, you're in a room, you're interacting with other people, variations of people you know or maybe not, and things are going down. Now, everything in that dream is you. You're creating that dream. You're creating that chair in the corner. You're creating that room. You're creating those people. You're creating yourself in the dream. And yet you're also standing back and looking at the dream. I think it might be something like that. It's not much different than what I'm describing. No, but I thought it sounded a little more professional. <laughs> Thanks for I that. Mean, I missed it. Thank <laughs> you for the elaborate example. <laughs> no different than what you said <laughs> but i mean i i don't think it was by accident i think it's on purpose you think it was by design but then you have to answer like like with my question it comes back who is the designer and who designed the designer and why and why the unknowable uh, the unknowable unknowable questions i suppose but we do try to seek the answers and i think we're going to go on seeking just as long as we can I don't know if we're ever going to make it to the stars. I have a feeling we're going to turn inward long before then. We wonder why we don't have um, interactions with other aliens. If if we don't, there's evidence we might be. But um, it's uh, an interesting proposition that the Fermi paradox. Why aren't there other races out there? Why don't we hear their radio waves? And the answer may be that by the time you develop a technical civilization. You're just a century or two from turning inward. So you're only going to be broadcasting for a very short period of time. And then that will cease. If you don't happen to be alive and uh, evolved at that particular point in time in history, you miss the radio waves. Yes. Also, all this bit about we should be able to pick up other uh, plants, TV stations, and radio, uh, that's garbage. We know now that, that we, we don't. We can't. That distance and standard interference in the universe will wash it out completely before it gets to us unless it's an extremely powerful source like that of an exploding star 
two colliding neutron stars, uh, two colliding black holes. It has to be something really, really big for us to be able to hear it and pick it up. I mean, we get we hear radio from Jupiter, radio waves from Jupiter, but mm -hmm. that's in our own solar system. So, uh, I mean, will we hear another civilization if it doesn't have that kind of energy output? Probably not. Mm -hmm. And if we turn inward before we could reach that point, it may be that we will enter our own simulations that if we want eternal life, the way to do it is simply to go inwards, not outwards. Interesting. So much for SETI then. Yes. Well, you know, I was part of SETI for a lot of years in the sense that I, uh, my computer uh, was processing the data along yeah. with thousands of other computers and nothing came up, you know, and all the computers combined made a supercomputer. And it still didn't find anything. So, is there anything to find? Hmm. I'll say. And what that... if what if the universe is infinite? If it is infinite, there's only so many ways subatomic particles can come together. So, even though you could have almost infinite variations on a theme and possibilities of how they can do it, eventually you run out, and they have to start repeating. That means if the universe is infinite, somewhere really really far out there beyond our ability to see and ever ever see is another version of our own solar system and our own galaxies and surrounding galaxies yeah that doesn't really make oh i don't know if that makes sense or not you know like i've heard like you know the theories of like you know the universe sort of existing in a bubble and our bubbles leaning up against another bubble with another reality that in it theory uh, and there's like that checkerboard theory too you know like the, the matter antimatter matter antimatter just repeating itself well we have some more evidence now that anti an antimatter universe may exist you must have heard about that experiment at the south pole where they found particles coming up out of the earth that shouldn't be coming out of the earth they're going up out of the earth not down from outer space <clears throat> and they theorize that this is because they're coming from a parallel antimatter universe Hmm. So then it, maybe it is the checkerboard thing. Well, if you believe in the inflation theory, part of it says that it, the universe is continuing to inflate. Not just our universe, but sections of our universe are creating new, new universes all the time. Hmm. And of course, then there's the theory of the um, lower state of matter, a phase transition, which is scary in itself, where spontaneously... Something could happen on the quantum level in some area of our universe, and it would propagate outwards at the speed of light and ch literally change everything in our universe that it encompasses as it expands. And we would never see it coming because it would be coming at the speed of light. One instant it wouldn't be there, and the next instant we would be transformed and not even have time to know that we were. And transformed into what? Nobody knows. But they theorized it would be a lower state of um, energy that the universe is in an unstable state and that this will happen sooner or later. And in fact, some scientists say it's already happened. It just hasn't reached us yet. Would we even, will we even know it? I mean, because it would be us and all the matter around us doing the same thing, so we might not even be able to perceive that. Well, we might perceive it in the sense that we probably would cease to exist instantaneously, virtually. How can you perceive non-existence? You'll know it when it comes. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know it because you won't exist. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Well, that'll be a sure sign. <laughs> yeah. Right? When you, when you stop perceiving, then you'll know you're not perceiving, so therefore you when don't exist anymore, it's right? It's a sure sign we've stopped existing, yeah. It's a, well, that's the thing. We won't know it. It'll be like literally a bolt from the blue. <laughs> It'll be so fast that it just we won't know what hit us, literally. Just Any like more we, than someone who gets hit by a bus, know, you know, with their back to the bus, knows what happened to them. One minute they're fine, next minute they cease to exist. But at the, least with a bus, there are, are, are observers that would see us die. But maybe. If but, you know, like even now, you know, we I think I'm perceiving that I exist, but do I really exist? Do you really exist? I'm perceiving it, but is it real? I don't know. Well, you know the old saying, what is it, um, the Latin, uh, the English translations, I think, therefore I am? Mm-hmm. I think I exist because I think. But when you start thinking, you no longer exist. Well, isn't that a definition of death? Well, I mean, this is where I get a little confused because I had a near-death experience, you know, and, and I swear I was not alive, but uh, yet I was still conscious and I was conscious in a completely different way than I'm conscious now. Well, how, uh, how does that get explained? Well, I just saw on the news, just, I think it was yesterday, where they have seemed to have come up with even more evidence that the human brain functions in certain quantum ways. And if so, then maybe when you die, your mind returns to the quantum level of existence, which may mean it's diffused throughout the universe because you know, we know that on the quantum level, space and time are an illusion. That um, it doesn't interfere with how things work on the quantum level and subatomic particles and all that at all. Uh, it's called the dirty little secret of uh, physics that equations work either way, cause and effect or effect and cause. The math doesn't matter. And if the universe is made of math, not just running on math, but actually made of math, then that would be so. <clears throat> so maybe you don't cease to exist. Maybe you, uh, we know the Higgs boson field permeates the entire universe. So there is a medium in which we could continue to exist if our minds drained out on the quantum level. Where are they draining out to is the question. That's why I have you on to answer this question. Yeah, well, let me call up somebody that knows the answer. I do get one call, right? <laughs> <laughs> Or, or if it's like the cab show, you get to shout out the window. <laughs> what was the movie where they were all shouting, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, however we look at it, we are in an awful inferior position when it comes to knowledge. We are struggling so hard to learn so much more. And always when we go really far beyond the answers we know we end up in metaphysics because our science simply hasn't progressed far enough to turn metaphysics into physics if you will we uh it seems to be that our answers always become this ethereal thing and it may be that that is the answer or maybe just the limits are of our imagination or our ability to comprehend yeah i think we can a, you know can a bacteria in a petri dish comprehend that a human is growing it absolutely you can it feels us watching it oh yeah that's right it has that ability <laughs> it is and it sees us as shadow people hanging over the microscope hanging over their heads or do, do bacteria have heads maybe not 
they have cilia, I know that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it just may simply be beyond our comprehension. We are limited by our brains and our ability to function. It may be that we simply can't contemplate what for us is, is incomprehensible. Whether that'll always be the case, I don't know. Maybe AI is the answer. Maybe our future lies with us merging with AI. Maybe that is the next step in our evolution to find the answers. Maybe, maybe this is a cosmic nursery and life in it is designed to fight and kill and die endlessly over and over as it slowly evolves upwards to godhood. Who knows? But if there's, a, if there's a place called like the Akashic Records, wouldn't the answers be there? Yeah, and it could exist maybe on the quantum level. Maybe God exists on the quantum level, or let's let's just say the mind of the universe. And maybe that's what we're for. When we die, we all enter into that mind and make it ever larger. Maybe that's like you were saying that we are, the Boltzmann brain is exploring all the possibilities. Maybe it's looking for answers that way. And maybe it is using the scientific method. And maybe that's why the universe is math. Right. Just like with my near-death experience, like maybe my brain here had died, right? The physical brain. And then it goes and experiences this other brain. But maybe eventually even that one dies or, or transforms into another one. And it just keeps going and going and going. Well, that sounds like the uh, theory of quantum immortality. Which you wrote a book about. Yes, I did. Yeah. I've written books about a lot of stuff, haven't I, actually? How many books have you actually written? You know, I honestly don't know. I'd have to look up on Amazon. Even that would tell me because not all my books are on Amazon. Some of the publishing houses. Hmm. But um, you like my latest book. My fiction book is with the uh, Cambridge uh, Pegasus Publishing House. They accept it under contract. So Which was that? Cool. Is that uh, Invader Moon? No, that was my uh, fiction one. The young adult one is called... Um, Professor Trithemius and the Otherworld House. And it's based on the idea of shadow people in a shadow world. Hmm. I often will do that in my writing. Uh, I'll, I'll translate research and nonfiction into fiction because for a lot of people, it's more palatable. It's like taking a pill that's sugar-coated rather than one that's just bitter. Right. So I often will write science fiction or fantasy simply to get a point across to explore an idea. Uh, do you read fantasy and science fiction? It's a great way to I used come to. across new theories. You used to. I used to. You know, like in my 20s and 30s, I was reading a lot of that. You know, now that I'm old, I'm just like mostly reading nonfiction. I just want to get to the point. I don't have enough time to read a whole story. Yeah, but sometimes the stories can uh, come up with theories and ideas which other authors, uh, besides myself, are, are being there it's it's a great way to learn i remember reading books i can't think of the author's name pretty famous the berserker books where humans ran into uh, machine intelligence and the machine intelligence was trying to wipe out life and so mm -hmm. for millennia we once we were in space we were battling these things these berserkers i thought that was an interesting concept and it's based on the idea of the von neumann machines you know and um have you thought we might be von Neumann machines? Sure, why not? <laughs> you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Um, why not? Why, I mean, why not? Why, why, why not? Why we're not? 
No, why, why not? What, what, what do you mean, why not? Why, why, why could we be Von Neumann machine? We could be. We could be, we could be anything. We could be absolutely. I mean, have you ever thought maybe mechanical life is the actual origin of life in the universe, and they created Von Neumann machines, which they called organics, and seeded through panspermia, the galaxy? We say the galaxy hasn't been colonized. Maybe it has by Von Neumann machines, and we're the Von Neumann machines. Yeah, it, it comes up back to that same question. It's like, who, where are these machines? Who's making the machines? Well, maybe they grew out of crystals. Who knows? But uh, again, always is, is that one. No matter how we approach this, it's always that um, infinite regression. We we find the answers at one level, and that leads to questions on the next level. Then we find those answers, and it leads to another level. Does this go on ad infinitum forever? Uh, are we always going to keep finding other levels of reality and existence? And if so, is there an ultimate goal, an ultimate prize, or not? And if so, if it is that way, why is it that way? These are questions we need to have answers to. We need them. I, I would like. Or to is the or is the answer forty four or whatever it was in um, the uh, Hitchhiker Guide to the Galaxy? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the How, answer to everything is forty four yeah. or forty or something like that. However, I've heard like there's like this. Other theory behind that whole 44 thing, like how it fits into some kind of equation, and it was actually something to it. The answer was 44? <laughs> well, I, mean, the, I mean, the answer is like the fact that even 44 exists, that math exists. You know, where does that come from? Like, where does the math come from? You see, that's why I kind of personally lead with simulation. Our universe isn't just based on math. It does seem to actually be math. We have found, one scientist found, self-correcting error code uh, in the equations of string theory. Came across it by accident, actually. And it's the exact same algorithms that Google uses and Yahoo uses as search engines. Self-correcting code. So that if there's a mistake, the data can correct itself and still arrive uncorrupted and why would that be in string theory unless we are in a simulation and that is to protect the simulation and it also would explain the glitches that people keep seeing the airplanes that appear frozen the birds that appear frozen and i know some of them are an illusion because of you're going in the same direction as the plane so it appears not to be moving but mm -hmm. there's other cases where it's actually a bird up there in the middle of the sky just frozen right where it is not moving wings not flapping and not drifting and we've seen, I think we've all seen photos of that on the internet as well. Yeah. So what's causing that? Uh, so I kind of lean towards um, this being a simulation. In fact, most scientists think there's at least a 35 to 50% chance that one scientist thinks it's 100% chance based on the basic processing speed of the universe being the speed of light. And it hangs together pretty darn well and explains a lot. So... Maybe we are a simulation. And then the question is, who programmed the simulation? Well, some scientists believe no one had to program it, that it occurred spontaneously. Well, apparently the universe formed spontaneously, too. But I have trouble with that. And maybe that's a limitation of the human mind, or at least my mind, that I cannot quite countenance something simply popping into existence out of nothingness. There has to be a reason, a motivation, a cause. But that could simply be because as a human being, 
my life depends on reasons, motivations, and causes and effect. And the idea of living in a, in a place of space through time or no space and no time where anything can occur spontaneously sounds a bit like a Disneyland movie to me. It does. It's weird. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why I'm here with Rob. I need, yeah, I come to you for this answer, but <laughs> you just leave me with more questions every time. Yeah, I'm a, well, welcome to the club. I mean, aren't we all, uh, don't we all have questions? Like, I mean, wouldn't it be nice if some guy with a beard on a big white cloud so he said, here's the answer, you know, hands them to us like the Ten Commandments or something. But um, I think it may be that we're evolving towards something more something else. And at this stage, we're no more capable of seeing the final culmination than a larvae is to see the insect that it will one day become. The butterfly, for instance. Uh, but uh, it simply can't contemplate that. But if life is all about competition, and it is a vicious, cruel competition, life eats life, life kills life in order to survive, it has no choice, then Maybe it is a breeding ground or a petri dish for something more to arise out of. And maybe whoever set this up doesn't care which petri dish it is that survives, just as long as one of them survives and evolves to be its offspring. Rather like a bunch of tadpoles in a pond. Only a few will survive, but only a few need to. Hmm. But what a colossal waste of life if that's the case. What a terribly poor system for me personally that is. You ever seen a Star Trek episode where they he, they meet God? I remember where they met. Oh, you're talking about the movie? They meet God at the center of the galaxy, or they think it's God? Yeah. Yeah, and it turned out he was been in prison there, mm -hmm. and he wasn't God. Right. And we, I also saw the Star Trek episode from the original series where they met the God Apollo, and. Uh, he was the last god, and he's the one who gave us all of our pan-Hellenic Western civilization culture. And, of course, what did we do? We caused him to commit suicide. <laughs> hmm. so, <laughs> that doesn't say much for humanity, does it, that we kill our god? Do you think humanity is good or bad? I think humanity is basically... Again, we're animals, we're apes, naked apes, we're crawling up out of the mud, and we are both good and bad. And that's another interesting topic. What determines if something is good or bad? Why do we have a sense of beauty? Why, why is the golden ratio, when we see it in pictures and paintings and sculpture, beautiful to us? Why do we find it aesthetically pleasing, whereas bad breath or a toilet that hasn't been cleaned in a few years, we find disgusting. Or just the fact that something may look ugly, like a toad, or a, a reptile of some sort, like a snake. Um, why do we seem to have... Is it just strictly based on evolution? That's good and beautiful because it doesn't harm us, or it helps us in some way? I don't think so. Maybe with human being that could be true, it makes us more sexually attractive to someone the closer we are to the golden ratio. But how do we count for liking a rose or a flower versus uh, a slug? I've got slugs on my back porch. I mm -hmm. can't stand those things. I love nature, but I don't care for slugs. I like slugs. I don't kill them, but I kick them off the porch. <laughs> yeah, I won't kill them either. 
No, but okay. why do we find slugs repellent and ugly, but we find a rose beautiful or a carnation or whatever you want to refer to? Or a, why is it a blue sky and a sunny day and a warm breeze and a smell of flowers appeals to us? To but um, a sewer doesn't or um, uh, looking at some kind of thing that we consider ugly. Why is that ugly to us? It, if it causes us no harm, why would we perceive it as ugly? But we do. The vast majority of human beings do not like spiders and snakes. We have a natural aversion to them, with some exceptions, but there's always some exceptions. Those psychopaths and sociopaths that actually like snakes and spiders, but, uh, you know, and I'm kidding. But uh, the vast majority of us don't like those things. Why don't we like them? Is it because they're evolutionarily, we've learned that they're a danger to us? Maybe. Or... Uh, I, that would be my guess is that um we have, since we have a much better chance of surviving through a sunny warm day and less of a chance of surviving um a hurricane we're always going to prefer the nice weather unless you're an eskimo and you rather like that cold and snow <laughs> i don't even know if eskimos liked it i think they just adapted well yes but i, I there's another question. If you adapt to something, do you then perceive that as being good and beautiful? I don't know. I guess so, yeah. I mean, if we all lived in a huge underground cavern and didn't develop eyesight, but instead had to rely on the sense of smell and touch and that, would we consider that beautiful? Whereas we would think of sunlight and open sky as being something horrible and ugly. Like, so is our, is our concept of aesthetics strictly based on evolution? Probably. I mean, my dog likes to smell poo. You even like to eat it sometimes. Yeah. You ever notice that? I Absolutely. Know, so, and why do we find that so disgusting? But it, we do. Yeah, but the dog likes it. Yeah, but we don't. Mm -hmm. And we're brighter than, well, I don't know if we're brighter than dogs, to be honest with you. <laughs> Some of the things humans do just astound me. But we do, we do terrible things. There's no doubt about it. But we also reach for the stars. We build rocket ships. We try our best to expand our knowledge. We explore. We seem to also be innately curious along with cats. But um, why are they innately curious? There's even the phrase, curiosity killed the cat. Generosity yes. brought it back. But uh, why are cats so incredibly curious? How is that an evolutionary advantage? Why are we curious? I don't know. I mean, it must have something to do with our survival. Does it? I imagine people in the old days probably died from curiosity as often as they learned something new. But for the whole, though, it would be a benefit. Like, say we're curious, like, we need food. And the only way to find out which foods are edible and which ones are not are to try them. And, you know, obviously some people are going to die from eating bad mushrooms. But when we find those good mushrooms, that good mushroom, the result of finding that good mushroom is going to benefit society exponentially. <laughs> right? You the, are you talking about the psilocybin mushrooms? <laughs> exactly. We love those mushrooms. They're great. In fact, that brings up a whole other thing is that we're just, that, that, that we evolved because apes started eating those mushrooms and became self-aware. It, it created like um, a disconnect in the thought process, and all of a sudden, the ape realizes, "Hey, I'm thinking." Think, therefore, I am. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, because of a mushroom. We could be I the result the of something that we, random. What is the Latin phrase for that? Can you remember? What is it? Cogito ergo sum or something like that? Don't ask me about Latin, man. I don't know any Latin. I think therefore I am. I don't know. I, if you have anyone listening, if they want to leave a comment, that would be cool to save me looking it up on Google. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how's the weather up in New Jersey? Uh, it's pretty chilly today. I think it's like, uh, let's see. I guess it's around 40, 46. Our high today is 47. Our low is going to be 37. Do you know, a few days ago, I was walking in T-shirts and a short, and I was too hot on my two-mile walk. Hmm. Yeah, I was, I was like week, a week ago. I was probably, it was warm. It was like 70, 75, 80 for a day and then the next day it was 30 just the way it is this time of the year I kind of like it though it's better than Alabama where my ass was just sweating all the time did I lose you? hmm are you there? Did the simulator just turn off and you vanished? You were. You disappeared out of my Zoom. Did I? Yeah. I haven't I haven't touched anything. My my microphone's not on you. I, I don't know what happened. Like you were completely gone. Wow. Like out of my screen, the whole thing was just gone. I'm I'm pretty sure the simulator may have turned off for a second for you. Well, and, 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 and you didn't realize it, and now you're back. Uh, well, my end was still in reality. Uh, you're yes. the one who blinked out. Yeah, well, maybe, no, from, for me, you blinked out. No, for me, you blinked out. <laughs> no, for you blinked out. <laughs> perception is reality. It's my perception. Okay? No, this is my perception. <laughs> oh, I just got a flash thing that my internet is unstable. You're very unstable. That was my internet, not me. <laughs> Mind you, how do we know we're sane? You ever wondered that question? I, oh, I know for a fact that I am not sane. Well, I think we all know that, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> if I were sane, would I be doing this? Yeah, I think you would be. I think sane people want answers more than probably anything else. And I wanted them all my life hmm. since I was about six years old. And I think you're kind of the same way. Wow. So so what if, I always thought of sane people as the people that get up every day, go to work, get a paycheck, and just accept things for the way they are and don't question it and don't get in any trouble for it. You know, I used to want to be that way. I used to wish that I could just go to the local bar or dive and sit at the bar and stare up at the football games playing endlessly on the TVs that are all along the back of the bar and ignore my neighbors for the most part and occasionally grunt at them and feel like I fit right in. But I don't. Uh, and I never have. And I don't know why that that's the case, but... Um, it's probably because I'm uh, pathological or something. I don't know. But uh, I just have never fit into that. I, I, I would be asking 
why are you sitting at the bar? Wouldn't it be more comfortable to sit at home on your couch? Why would you rather be in a smoke-filled bar for the company? Well, you're sitting there like a, a stone idol, and you're not having any conversation or interaction with your neighbors who are also staring mindlessly up at the screen. So why are you at the bar? And, of course, that means that I don't fit into the life of a bar. Mm. I don't fit How in. about you? Did, did you ever fit in like that? No, no. See? See that's Absolutely not. I don't. I, I've you always know, I've always pushed things a little too far and just got myself in trouble because I want to find out what things are yeah, or what will happen, too. you know? I have a lot of people who say, you ask a lot of questions. It's like, well, it's the only way I can get answers. Or I'll use the excuse, well, I'm a writer, you know, and I'm always trying to develop characters and I, I want to know what their motivations are. That's why I ask you these questions. That isn't really the reason. The reason is I just want to know the answers, you know, but... Uh, just uh, we're seekers of truth, or we're seekers of knowledge. Maybe not truth, just knowledge. Yes. And other other people are not. They're content to live their lives. And I'm not sure who's the happier. I suspect they are. Yeah, I mean, you say ignorance is bliss, right? Where a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. Is the rest of that line? That's why we shouldn't eat from that damn tree. <laughs> you and I, we <laughs> ate from that tree of knowledge. Everybody else is. Went to the tree of life where they could just live their lives and be happy. Do you ever want You and I went to the tree of knowledge and we get to be. I don't know. I, I like the tree of knowledge. Maybe it was. But why was it banned? Why do the Greeks have the same concept of knowledge is evil? Why is it that uh, all through history we've been told that we uh, uh, should not learn things, that we should not know things, that we should just accept it on faith and faith alone? Why is that such a prevalent thing in our society? And I wrote a fiction book based on that, too, called The God Factor. But uh, actually, it's a trilogy. But I was questioning, why is it that knowledge is the forbidden fruit? Not just in our Bible, but in most cultures, civilizations. Why is it the person who dares to question anything, whether it's Galileo or uh, Copernicus, gets stones thrown at them? Why is there such a resistance to knowledge? Were we bred that way? Was, And if so, then why are we innately curious it seems to be a contradiction in terms to be exceedingly curious but at the same time knowledge is the forbidden fruit i think you know back to that other answer is i think once we figure it out it all ceases to exist i don't know about that i think maybe uh could be a form of game and these are the rules that were set up and we have to play them if it's a simulation or maybe the tree of knowledge, if we go to that one, there's a possibility that we become gods ourselves and start creating our own rules. Well, that's kind of the way I lean also. I think that this is a um, testing chamber and only the strong will survive and only the intelligent ultimately will survive and only the curious, despite the consequences for many, will be the ones that learn and grow and become something more. Are we becoming something more? Yeah, I think we are. Look at our civilization, our technology. It's incredible when you think about what's happened in the last 50 years. It's just expanded exponentially. We are reaching um, the idea of uh, a technological singularity. We are getting so much information so quickly that it's becoming impossible to use that data to prognosticate what's going to happen in a year, in a month, or a week, or even a day, or even the next minute. The knowledge is pouring in at an incredible rate. 
entire Encyclopedia Britannica is full every few seconds. And of course, it might take AI to cross-reference uh, all that and to learn from that. But we'll ultimately be the beneficiaries. I don't think we have to fear AIs. I, I mean, it's possible that we could if we do it wrong. But I have a feeling it's going to be more of a symbiosis. Yeah, I'm not too worried about AI either taking over. Stephen Hawking was. Yes, he was. So was Elon Musk. But then he bought Twitter, so what does that say about Elon Musk? <laughs> yeah, he's having some issues with Twitter lately. Or, or, the issues know, is, is or to Twitter, put it mildly. Or Twitter is having issues with him. I'm, I don't know. I think it's probably both. It's a two-way street there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I, mean, I kind of like Elon because he's kind of a free thinker. But... I do too. There are things about him I don't like, but I think he has helped humanity incredibly. Uh, I asked Generation Z and Y and Millennials quite often. I said, uh, in fact, I had a discussion with one the other day. And he says, well, we've done quite a bit in our, in, in our generation. has." I said, really, what have you done? How have you contributed to the sum total of human knowledge by playing video games endlessly, by sitting at home and watching TV, by listening to rap constantly and nothing else? I said, your generation, 40% of you can't place the United States on a map of the world. Uh, interviews uh, show that the vast majority of young people can't name who fought in World War II, not one leader of one country involved in World War II, World War I, or even know about the Civil War or who fought it and which side won. Uh, and one of them was even in a graduate outfit. He was um, dressed in cap and gun, and they were asking him. And they asked who the name of the vice president is. They don't know. So that got me going. So I started talking to them. And I said, well, what have you accomplished? You tell me. What have you accomplished? I said, our generation put the man on the moon. We invented the transistor. We invented the microchip. We invented the laser. We invented and developed rocketry. We developed nuclear power. We basically invented it all. Using it, yeah. but I don't see you progressing onward. What, what are you adding to the sum total of human knowledge? And I don't, it, well, we do video games very well. I said, you didn't even invent those. We invented those. Do you remember Asteroids and Pong mm. and Frogger <laughs> and all those? We invented them. All you've done is elaborate on what we already invented. You fine-tuned it. I'll give you credit for that. And you, you're doing well with that. But uh, you didn't invent it. What have you created that's new? How have you added to the sum total of human knowledge? He couldn't answer me. Couldn't answer me. And by the way, that doesn't mean that they haven't added to the sum total new, uh, human knowledge, but uh, I don't see a great deal of strides in that department from that generation particularly. And I don't know if it's because of the circumstances, the economy, the way it's been for the last 15, 20 years or what, but I don't see a great deal of modern innovation. There's even one theory that we've done it, that our burst of innovation was in the 20th century to the early 21st century, and now we're going through a, a, an extended period where there won't be a lot of innovation anymore, mm. that we're sort of going to rest on our laurels. Well, we're the ones who created those laurels. Aren't the next generation supposed to go further? And he goes, I said, we've landed a, ships on Mars, we've gone to Venus, we've gone to Jupiter, we've gone to Titan, we've gone to Pluto. What have you guys done? Uh, I said, why haven't you colonized the nearest star system? Well, why haven't you, was the answer. And I said, because we did all the groundwork. We've explored our solar system. 
right? We've given them the knowledge to do it. They, they, right. we, like we, we, like and you mentioned the, 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 the Encyclopedia Britannica. Like for us as kids, like that was all the knowledge there was. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was. And now, now there's like <laughs> access to Every absolutely everything you could ever want that we know is accessible at your fingertips at all times. <laughs> And the only problem with that is we don't remember. We don't have to remember. We don't have to learn. We just ask the questions and we get the answers. Who won the Civil War? I don't need to remember that from school. I can look it up on Google. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, it, it, to me, that was, having that leaves a lot of time and effort to look into deeper things. And answer, ask bigger questions. But for people that yeah, are, exactly. but, but, but people who are just satisfied with the, you know, one or two sentence an, answer that Google gives, and then you don't follow up on it any more than that, then it's a problem. Well, I, I actually waxed a little eloquent with that millennial about it. I said, you know, your generation reminds me of mice scurrying amongst the ruins at the feet of giants. You just, exist down below you you're not do, doing anything to become giant to do this and, I, and it was absolutely was unfair but i wanted to win the argument <laughs> <laughs> uh he's just like a mean old man you know, to that kid <laughs> like damn those old people are <laughs> mean know, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they're cruel <laughs> but uh <laughs> but it worked I mean, you really couldn't come up with answers. And then I felt a little bad afterwards. But And, and of course, not all of that was true. It was me being a intellectual bully to a certain degree. But part of it is true, you know? I, I want us to continue as a species. And to do that, we have to keep getting more knowledge. And if they're not going to do it, they're just going to spend the rest of eternity in a fantasy land of gaming. Hmm. I can't. Think of how gaming adds to the sum total of human knowledge to any real degree. No, it doesn't. What would change that, though, is a catastrophe. You know, when there's no more games, when there's no more electricity, no more food. No, no, no. Being knocked back into the Stone Age isn't the answer. Uh, I mean, we just have to relearn what we've already learned all over again. We need to progress from this point forward. We don't need to take a giant step backwards and have to repeat everything again. Sometimes you got to take a step back. To get the full perspective, right? Well, I don't know about you, but in this weather, I don't want to live in a cave, okay? <laughs> well, I, 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 I'm, 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 I'm kind of a hairy guy, so, you know. I can, yeah, I can sort of the Neanderthal look? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, yeah. Did you know Neanderthal's brains were just as big as ours, and maybe even slightly larger? I don't think I knew that, no. Yeah, I was reading an article on that, too. You know, I have to stop reading articles. It just gets me in trouble, really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know if I knew that or not. I think I may have read that on the card at the Museum of Natural History. Well, you know, since we don't have the answers, let me ask you this question. Since we don't have the answers, do you think science is more relevant than religion? Or are they equally relevant? Or is religion more relevant than science? Or at least metaphysics. Okay, so I believe that at one time, science and religion were the same thing. Science, religion, philosophy were all combined and worked together. And then 
over time, they all became their separate things. Science, philosophy, and religion became separate. And now we're at a time where if we really want these answers to, to the questions that like you and I are answer asking, those three things sort of come back have to come back together as some type of um, unit and, and progress again. Like you know, I think philosophy gives us the hypothesis and the questions. I think um, religion also kind of does that also. And it also gives us a history. And science, with its method, can give us the answers. The tradition of religion hasn't necessarily given us the correct answers. No, it hasn't. It has not. But it does ask the questions, in a way. Not really. You're supposed to believe based on faith. But that, I mean, the that's Christian religions, like you know, the Arabic religions. Yes, um, like Buddhism, Hinduism, Jainism, Taoism, do not. Well, all religions have their dogmas and their doctrines, though. Structure. Otherwise, they wouldn't be a religion. Uh, not just structure, but limitations. The minute you say I'm Catholic or I'm Buddhist or whatever, you put a mental box around yourself. Mm -hmm. You chose to be Buddhist or Catholic or Protestant or whatever, but the minute you choose it, you've boxed yourself in. To some extent, yes, absolutely. So, yeah, if you believe in one religion and only believe that religion as the truth, you have boxed yourself in. Absolutely. But I tend to look at them as a whole. I don't abide by any one particular religion. And I... Certainly, so no, and, and I don't discount them either. I'm not so sure, for instance, Buddhism doesn't have some of the, or Hinduism don't have some of the answers that we're looking for. Yeah. The one I tend to try to shy away from the most is Christianity. Oddly enough, so do I. But um, and the funny thing is, I was raised a devout Catholic. Me Almost too. Became a priest. Were you? Yeah, yeah. In fact, yeah, I had all my sacraments as Catholic. In fact, I went to a funeral yesterday, and I was back in the same church that my parents brought me to as a kid. I'm like. God, the hours of torture that I spent sitting here. But the, that's how I view it. A too. It's a beautiful building, and, and I love the, the theater of the mass. But as far as the beliefs, it was terrible. Same way, I love to sit in an empty church and just admire the beauty of it and the quiet. And uh, but I used to squirm every time I had to go to mass. Mm. And I don't think it was the preacher's fault. I think it was me, you know, the priest's fault. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, on that note, it's <laughs> a good way to end this. Basically, we've spent almost an hour and a half saying we don't know anything. <laughs> I think we have. That's why I like having you, though, as a guest. I think listeners walk away from this with questions to ask themselves. And, or, and maybe it makes people think. Maybe it's just, or maybe it's like that sermon by the priest where they just can't wait to get out of their seat and get out of the church. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good thing too. You know, it's like, oh, this is so uncomfortable. <laughs> I feel so much better now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have a good laugh, right? It's always fun talking to you, man. Always fun. You too, sir. So um, before we wrap it up, where's the best place for my listeners to find you? Uh Really, just Google Rob Shelby. It's the quickest and easiest way. All right. Well, I will put a link to your Amazon books in this episode. 
Well, that would be nice. Thank you. Sure. And again, just as a little plug, uh, Professor Trithemius and the Otherworld House is going to be my newest book. It comes out in England here in a few months. I cannot wait. Wait, you're, you're not in England, no. You're in the U.S. Yes, I'm in North Carolina. Hmm. But uh, I travel to England frequently, and they decided they wanted to publish, in fact, incredibly fast. And it took them three days to say yes, they wanted the book. Wow. Yeah, pretty good, huh? Yeah, that's excellent. Congratulations when I'm a on that. Uh, when, when I'm a millionaire and you want me to think of you, I won't. Wow. <laughs> when I'm a millionaire, I'll definitely be thinking of you because you're a part of my podcast. is a contributor to this podcast from the very beginning. You're a nicer person than I am, apparently. <laughs> apparently I am, yes. <laughs> I couldn't forget you, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I have nightmares about you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think everybody has nightmares about me. It's all that hair, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, just this hairy old podcaster <laughs> who talks about nothing for hours. Yeah, literally talks about nothing. You know, we do. But we're searching for the truth, and I don't think people are going to castigate us for that too much. No, somebody has to do it, right? Yeah, somebody has to. It might as well be us. Well, we'll, we'll leave this for the future generation. Give them something to the think one about. That isn't doing anything. <laughs> that that something to do other than video games. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> right. Well, you have a good day, sir. You too. Have a good one. Yeah, you take care. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye bye. Bye.